Welcome to the Arise Church podcast, where we're awakening the world to the reality of Jesus. Hi there, this is Jess Avery, and I'm here with Austin Wofford. Hey, everybody. And we today are going to cover some to the topic of prayer and specifically praying in groups. It feels like a little bit of a lost art in church. And so today we're going to talk about how to actually lead a prayer set. Yeah, group prayer is something that I think many of us, even if you've grown up in church or especially if you've recently come to faith, have probably not experienced group prayer in worship gatherings. And I don't know about you, Jess, but the church that I grew up in was a uh, small uh, liturgical church where there was not shared spontaneous group prayer. Oh, absolutely. I did not get any exposure to anything like that till my adult life. But I would say the real normative way that we see church expressed um, in a in an average church would be that it's kind of a polite way to start or end a meeting. <laughs> and yeah. it's usually one person really organized, very praying very politely um, for maybe a list of things um, or just a way to sort of like open or close a meeting. But it's rarely ever the actual focus of the meeting. It's usually like a teaching event or some kind of a preaching event yeah. or a study and that prayer sort of bookends it. Um, but this, we're talking about prayer being the main dish. Yeah, absolutely. And in house church gatherings, prayer in corporate or group prayer is absolutely a main dish. It's an entree of the gathering when you're together. And so it requires some extra thinking from a, a lot of us who have been encultured by the American church. How do we actually engage God together? And yeah, I grew up in a small liturgical church, which I appreciate for so many reasons. And I remember one Sunday, my father, who was a pastor, he took off a Sunday and it was rare to take off a Sunday. And we went to a local church and it was a bit more charismatic and a bit more Pentecostal. And it was almost like the type of church that I knew my parents would go to if they weren't leading <laughs> the church. Church by choice. Yeah, church by choice. <laughs> And I remember being completely disoriented in the opening worship set. The pastor, there's a church of a few hundred. He said, all right, everyone pray out loud together. <laughs> and they did. And out of that group prayer came one booming voice from the congregation as someone began giving words of knowledge and prophecy mm -hmm. that the community just kind of agreed on that it was from God. And I still remember the words that were spoken. He said, he said, there's some of you today who are being called to share your faith with your friends, and you know that God's leading you to do this, and now is the time for boldness. And I remember as a teenager not understanding what was happening, but knowing that whatever this man was saying was from God to me personally, and I felt the presence of God sort of strike to the core <laughs> of my spirit, and I began weeping. Wow. And... That time closed down and the pastor said, okay, everyone, go and greet the people around you. <laughs> <laughs> and so overweight, you know, um, unibrowed, 13-year-old uh, um, crying through, you know, tears over my acne. Um, I was offering <laughs> handshakes to complete strangers and, and was really embarrassed. But there, it was really profound to experience group prayer. Mm-hmm in a worship gathering. And Jesus, you know, instructs us to pray in groups. Yeah. I, I think the reason this is so powerful is because, 
and I experienced it so powerfully is because Jesus intends for this to be normal. Yeah, this is just like common New Testament church. Everything that we read about mm-hmm. the, the early church gathering, this was the norm. It was like we, we gathered, we sang songs, we prayed prayers. <laughs> and uh, and it, it feels like uh, a bit lost in our day, but this it really is what it means to gather as believers. This is the way that the way that the, way that the rest of the world gathers is, is just saturated in prayer. Yeah. Yeah. You see these instructions from Jesus in Matthew 18, for instance, where he says, if you are two or three together on earth and you agree about anything that you ask for, your father in heaven is going to give it to you. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them also. You know, this is Jesus' instructions about group prayer. That's why it's normative in the global church. That's why it's normative throughout church history. Jesus is saying, look, guys, get together (laughs) on earth and ask God who's in heaven. And if you agree about it together, then it will be done for you. Yeah. And of course, the early church practiced this, Acts 2, the upper room. But then even in Acts 4, you see the church gathers in homes. And when they have problems, it's like they're interceding through the night. The spirit fills them. And we know that this isn't just in crisis instances, because mm-hmm. in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul has this long passage through uh, 12 to 14, where he's giving instructions about worship. Like specifically when you come together, you know, in a Sabbath setting in a home to worship, this is how you do it in an orderly way. And he spends huge chunks of that passage talking about how to pray together. Hmm. That's because when they got together, (laughs) they prayed. And the churches that have retained this practice of group prayer retain a vibrancy of spiritual life that oftentimes leads to revival. That's why extended times of contending prayer, extended seasons prolonged in David Thomas's terms of (laughs) of extended prayer lead to outpourings of the spirit. Of course, we see that we've seen this in the Hebrides revival. Mm -hmm. We've seen it in the Zusa street revival. And we would just say that the spirit does his normative work when the church operates as it's supposed to be normed, how it's designed. Yeah, absolutely, Austin. And it's so interesting because this is such a lost art in the church that when we raise the idea of having a prayer meeting and that this is the focus, I think a lot of people might immediately assume that that might be a boring thing to be part of. But it's quite the opposite. You know, if we can really step into the presence of God, really take up prayer the way that the New Testament describes, mm. it's really actually quite a lot of fun as well. And uh, you can sense the power of God and the presence of God. And it's absolutely just delightful to be with other believers and to pray in this manner. Yeah. The most profound experiences I've had with God have not come during uh, song sets. Mm -hmm. They haven't come in the exposition of the word. Both of those things are important. And this might be a little personality based. But for me, the most powerful experiences I've had with the love of God have been a direct result of group prayer. Yeah. And prayer being used as a transition during worship service or to bookend Mm -hmm. a time that we're together Um, That can feel a little stale or a little dry, I think well-intended, but we have to continue to to go beyond prayer as programming. Yeah. Where in many churches, you know, in our context, that prayer is observed. It's Mm -hmm. one pastor's praying, 
or it's something that's done in between the song and the teaching mm -hmm. and everyone else observes. We have yeah. to move through past the barriers of observation and professionalism mm -hmm. to enter into participation and activation of the whole in praying what the spirit has intended for the church to, to pray and to experience. So when you do that, when you go to God together and begin enter into the intercession of the spirit for your community, prayer becomes an adventure. Yeah. Becomes interaction with God as a group where you're discerning what God is doing in real time in your community and you're responding to that. And to engage the living God together mm -hmm. is a whole lot of fun. Yeah, it's the difference really in between doing something about Jesus than doing something with Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, you worship with God, and that worship includes prayer. Now, for us as leaders, this is going to be something, a culture both that we catch, and, and we do hope that there is a culture of prayer that's spreading across the network, yeah. but it's also something that we know we need to teach on. Mm -hmm. And in the house churches, it is not always intuitive how to lead through a time of prayer. We want each house church gathering to, to have a time of prayer, and for that time of prayer, we, we simply will refer to that as a prayer set. Yeah. So a time of group prayer during a house church gathering, maybe it's after the meal and before uh, teaching of the scripture and discussion, or maybe it's after the teaching and it's response mm -hmm. to the, the teaching and the scriptures. Um, regardless of where prayer comes intentionally during the gathering, we're going to call that a prayer set. I like it. That's a good definition. Yeah. So we want to give you practical instruction on how to lead through a prayer set. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do that through discussion around three main categories, the postures, the principles, and the practices of a prayer set. The, the postures, the principles, and the practices. Now, the postures are how we approach the living God together. Mm -hmm. So it's how a group can approach God. Um, the first posture that we could use to design a prayer set is adoration. That is when a group comes together and during a house church gathering, it's going to say, we want to worship God with our words. And this seems really important to me as a house church leader that we learn to do this, how to worship God with our words, because singing is sometimes not always available to us. Yeah. We may not have <laughs> instrumentalists. We might not have singers. The video feed of whatever song mm -hmm. that we're singing may not work. So we may want to welcome the presence of God. Yeah. Enter into a beholding of God's goodness, his glory, a time of thanksgiving and praise. And we can do that with the words. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. It really does serve to get our focus off of ourselves because all of us sort of come in, you know, with those, um, with those scales on our eyes that have to do with just an inability to see beyond ourselves. Yeah. And an adoration really is this way that we begin to shift our focus off of ourselves, off of our crisis, off of our, um, unmet needs, anything, and begin to, to lift our eyes up, to begin to really engage with God, to invite his presence, to become aware of what he's doing. And adoration really does sort of sort of flip the switch um, to get us out of ourselves and, and get our mindset on things above. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, adoration 
prayer teaches us how to host the presence of God without music. Mm-hmm. And that's because it very simply turns the eyes of our hearts onto the God who is with us. You know, it doesn't ch- change the reality of what's occurring in the room, but it does create open space for us to see and to recognize and to praise and to adore God. Yeah, that's that's really good and so helpful to frame that up. Uh, the next one we want to talk about is about uh, travail or intercession. That word travail is kind of uh, unfamiliar often. It's kind of a funny little yeah. word. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit more about what it looks like to really travail and to intercede? Yeah, this is really a much different posture that we can take as a group in approaching God than uh, praise or adoration, right? Praise or adoration, you'd recognize it. Someone says, we're going to thank God. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just spend some time telling God what we're thankful for. Travail and intercession is much different. This happens when someone opens up a, a prayer set by saying, we're going to take some time praying for this need in our community. Mm-hmm. We're going to take some time praying for this need that this person right here has. We're going to take some time and we're going to pray for our lost friends. Mm -hmm. To go to God as a group on behalf of another, that's intercession. And it's really hard to do that callously. You know, Mm -hmm. some people will ask and say, okay, why do we pray, but we do not act? You know, why do we pray for God to move, but we don't perform acts of mercy and justice? Mm -hmm. Well, you shouldn't detach the two, right? But acts of mercy and justice oftentimes come out of intercession, when the heart of God grips you in the place of prayer and contemplation, mm-hmm. or you know, in the, the place where a group becomes gripped with the heart of God, it compels you to action. Yeah. And I believe that it partners with the Spirit to compel the will of God mm-hmm. into action in the world around you. And when you begin to sense the heart of God for others, it becomes oftentimes travail. Yeah, a story that is about that very thing of the the marriage between action and intercession and how it sort of uh, one leads to the other makes me think of the Haystack Revival. That was, you know, a group of students who went out in a field uh, to pray for, um, I want to say it was people in China, mainland China. And they were saying, like, how, God, would you would you move among these people? They were really moved in prayer. It began to rain. So they dove into a haystack, but continued in prayer. And when they came out of that, basically what was birthed from that was a whole missions movement across the country. And it really did start in the place of travail that they actually carried on their prayer um, as they uh, dove out of the of the weather and just really laid hold of God's heart. And through that, they were led to action, which I mean, it's unlikely that they would have sort of had this whole missions movement if it had not come from their hearts being first moved. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't come from casual prayer. You're not compelled to action by praying uh, politely. Yeah. (laughs) You are compelled to action when the spirit of God grips you in such a way that you, that that it gives birth to something in your life, right? Travail is the word used for a woman who's in labor and childbirth. And this is a word that's used to describe prayer, mm-hmm. Paul's uh, prayer life in uh, the New Testament. It's also a word that the 
intercessors from the 18th and 19th century used to describe their prayer gatherings. It's also a word that could be used to describe the emotion in the early church prayer gatherings. Yeah. I thought this was fascinating from a scholar named Jacob Tobbs in his book, The Political Theology of Paul. He made this comment. He's an early church historian about the primitive church. He said, among Christians, as among many other groups, the gestures of prayer were expected to be melodramatic and noisy. <laughs> melodramatic and noisy. And Alan Kreider, in his book, The Patient Ferment of the Early mm-hmm. Church, he said of uh, a long list of worship practices for the, for the early church, he listed second as uh, what we see in early church documents as the raising of hands in mm. group prayer. Yeah. So when the early church prayed, it was in travail and intercession is for the needs of others uh, <laughs> um, to God. And it was in melodramatic noise, hands raised, and everyone praying <laughs> at the same time. Yes, it's this kind of idea of being sort of obstinate with God of, yeah. hey, God, you said, just how if you were ever wanting to convince someone of uh, anything you wanted them to do, whether they wanted, you wanted them to agree with your restaurant choice or, <laughs> or anything else, we might just speak more <laughs> emphatically. We might speak in such a way that it's clear that our hearts are in it and that we mean it. And that yeah. is the life of prayer that this is talking about. It's like talking to God in a way that doesn't feel so um, distant, it's like we're speaking to our elderly great aunt, <laughs> but that we <laughs> are really um, communicating with our hearts, with our words, with our um, just the fervency of who we are, um, that we really mean it when we ask God to do something. Yes. Yeah, it's conviction that becomes words. Yeah. So the third posture that I want us to talk about that we can take together in going to God in group prayer. As you lead a prayer set, you know, you could you lead a time of adoration, you could lead a time of intercession, or you could approach God together on behalf of a specific person through the laying on of hands. Through the laying on of hands. And you'll recognize this when the house church leader would, will say, um, hey everyone, we're gonna pray for this person today. Why don't we go ahead and surround them mm-hmm. and do the laying on of hands. And this brings about really significant moments in people's lives. Oftentimes God uses the laying on of hands when you all approach God together on behalf of another person. And when you use, um, I don't know, the the fellowship of an extended hand, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, God uh, uses that to, to mark people many times. You know, in Acts 6, we see Stephen being commissioned to and and receiving authority and responsibility for position. You know, he's to distribute, oversee the distribution of bread to the widows and the orphans. Mm -hmm. Um, Also in Acts 8, you see that there are people who've been baptized with water, but not with the Spirit. And when they receive prayer through the laying on of hands, um, the the Holy Spirit fills them. And when we do this together, we can expect certain things to take place. We can expect God uh, to move in healing. You know, as it talks about in James, lay hands on one another and pray uh, for, for healing. Yeah. Um, you could receive the filling of the Spirit. Oftentimes, it's for the commissioning of a role. Like if you wanted to set someone apart and ask for God to empower them to do that role, uh, you'd use the laying on of hands. Or it's for the activation of gifting. Um, activation of, of the, the gifting of the Spirit in someone's life. But I think more often than not, it's used as a time of encouragement. Mm -hmm. Just when someone receives prayer from a community, they feel and know the love that God has for them. And oftentimes 
words of knowledge are given, uh, prophetic words, and sometimes it's fuzzy, you know, what is our encouragement and what is mm-hmm. actually, you know, prophetic from the Spirit, and I think that's okay. Yeah. Because I think um, God wants people to be blessed and to be encouraged when they're surrounded by his people, the laying on of hands in prayer. Yeah. And it does just affirm uh, the withness of a community when there is just that physical act of coming around a person, of actually surrounding them, of laying on hands and believing that somehow in that uh, gesture that God imparts and releases and moves significantly. And that's probably one of the really easiest ways to begin to think about how to grow in prayer as a house church. It's so accessible whenever somebody raises a need or talks about an upcoming um, event or something that they're called into or something, a a challenge they're stepping into if they're sick. Those are just really... um, uh, easy and obvious places that we could yeah. just get around a person and pray obstinately and lay yeah. on hands. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when planning a prayer set, you know, choosing one of these postures, yeah. do we want to adore God together? Do we want to intercede or do we want to lay on hands? Um, before the gathering, it's going to be somewhat apparent to you which mm-hmm. of those you should do. Maybe there is a need that someone has that really you can see biblically requires laying on of hands and prayer from the community. Um, And you can pair these together. It doesn't have to be in exclusion. You don't have to choose one of these postures in exclusion of the others. Um, But there will be signals to you based on the needs of the community and what God's doing in your group, which posture needs needs to be primary for the house church gathering. And um, regardless of what posture you take, there are some principles for how to lead an engaging prayer set. Mm-hmm. So we want prayer sets, again, not to be observe the professional. We want it to be a participation of the whole. And two principles that to keep in mind as you're leading through a prayer set is to keep everyone participating. So principle number one is everyone participates. We see this in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction or revelation or a tongue and interpretation. And so when we come together for a prayer set, what we're thinking about is how do we keep everyone engaged? Yeah. How do we help everyone to, um, yeah, keep active in the prayer set, even if there's a single person praying? And sometimes it's as easy as just stating the intent up front. Hmm. At the beginning of a prayer set, just tell the group, when we pray together, realize one person might be praying out loud, but it's not that person praying alone. It's everyone in agreement with the prayer out loud. Yeah, that's that's really good, Austin. And as we're just sort of learning to take up more of these practices, sometimes it's helpful to even prime the pump, maybe send out a, a, a group message in the group me or the to indicate to the house church or say, hey, next week, um, everybody bring in a scripture that you want to pray over a person. Um, it just yeah. allows us to uh, engage everybody for it not to be this idea. Again, house church is classic. We're all here to participate. Mm. Um, but it really does help people to lean in, to get ready because we have to grow in normalizing these practices. Like the church you described at the beginning of our conversation, uh, this church clearly had had, 
built-in rhythms that they'd done over time. So when the pastor called people to pray with their hands raised, they kind of went right in and knew how to do it. Mm. Um, I think of in Korea, classically in the Korean church, they pray out loud at one time altogether. Um, and again, it's it's a culture that by and large is a little bit more quiet and reserved yeah. until they pray. <laughs> and then it's the opposite. And so uh, these practices really do become sort of normative over time as we learn how yeah. to, to do them together. Yeah. Yeah. And again, these early church accounts, um, Alan Kreider in his book, Patient Ferment, he, he does um, point out that in some of the accounts, there are instructions about not eating or drinking too much during the <laughs> communion. Which, mm-hmm. like us, communion for them was a full meal. With we don't drink wine, but they drank wine, and the instructions a lot of times um, to the churches were don't eat and drink too much because everyone's going to need to offer a prayer or a song. So you want to be lucid, you want to be <laughs> mentally all there and present in the gathering because the expectation is, guys, we're all in this together. Yeah. And the second principle is really similar to the first, but it goes a bit deeper. Of course, we want everyone to be uh, participate, but we also want everyone to be unified. Unity is the second principle, and unity is a little bit of a less concrete principle than the first. Um, but unity is, we see this in, in Acts 2 and Acts 4, where the church is of one heart and one mind. They're of one spiritual temperature, and they're going to God with one shared fervor. It's agreement in prayer at the deepest level, and it's only possible if you have a community, mm-hmm. a group, in group prayer, who is reconciled to one another. It's interesting to me, Jesus' instructions in Matthew 18, if two or three of you agree in my name, it will be done by your Father in heaven, comes directly after he says, if you have a brother or sister who sinned against you, go to them and reconcile. Yeah. Tertullian, uh, an early church father, he says that reconciliation is the precondition for prayer. Mm. (laughs) And I think we capture, David Thomas does a great job of capturing the power of agreement in in the depths of our souls. When he says, you know, group prayer is taking a request to God, adding our faith, and then wrapping our unity around it. There's there's a dynamic and explosive spiritual power at work when individuals are unified, reconciled together around the things of God and prayer. Faith, when we come together, my faith with your faith, with the other people in our house churches, our faith together, it's not additive, it's exponential. Yeah, that, that, is, that is so true. And if you don't actually desire flourishing for another person because you're bitter against them, yes. because you're angry toward them, uh, or even just because you don't know them well enough to have unity. That's right. <laughs> Whether there's conflict or just sort of suspicion around anybody, uh, you're not going to be able to pray the way that Jesus is asking us to. Yeah. Our hearts actually have to be moved. We have to actually be heartbroken yeah. over the gap that we see between heaven and earth. We have to be heartbroken yes. over the lack, over the places where... Um, God's best is not at work. Yeah. And unity really is totally necessary for that. Absolutely. Sin creates division. Yeah. Reconciliation is a sign that the effects of sin have been reversed. Mm-hmm. And it takes real heart work for you to gain that place of unity with the people in your house church. It requires that you put your preferences behind the preferences of Jesus 
mm-hmm. and behind uh, the preferences of the community. And when you enter into that kind of sacrificial bonded unity and you go to God in prayer, you know, the Old Testament, they would offer sacrifice of an animal on the altar. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the sacrifice of the heart of a consecrated community creates an altar for the fire of the spirit to come and fill. I mean, these are, this is major sign to God that we desire what you desire and we're willing to do whatever work and whatever is needed to make that possible in our lives. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating that this is like the um, the precursor to the prayer meeting. Like this is the prayer that goes before the prayer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because the 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 prayer moment, the prayer set uh, mm-hmm. is really set up by the quality of relationships that exist outside of the moment. This is the stuff we do in everyday life. This happens, yes. and when we have our micro offenses, when we have our huge offenses, we really have to work all of this stuff out as part of our apprenticeship to Jesus before we really can even come to the place of prayer in the way that Jesus calls us to arrive there. Yeah. Yeah. A really practical way of ensuring that this principle exists in your house church, exactly what you're saying, Jess, is uh, to help people come into that kind of bonded relationship to make Mm -hmm. sure that there's not areas of ongoing offense in between people and to play the role of reconciler. But then also when you come together at a beginning of a prayer set, Um, if someone says, I have this need, then oftentimes I will say exactly what David Thomas said, that quote that I just mentioned. I'll say, okay, we're going to all pray for this person. One person's going to voice it, but the rest of us are going to add our faith to it, and we're going to wrap our unity around it. And that, to me, is a really profound visual for what happens, the power, the exponential power of unified prayer. Yeah, it's like praying as one person, even though we are many people. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we've really covered some great stuff here. We have talked about postures, like the heart, the attitude with which we want to um, to come into things. We've talked about the principles. These are guiding ways um, that we can come into prayer. But I'm curious now if we can really dig down into the practicalities, like the actually, how do I do this? Um, if there is like a, a how-to guide or a tutorial of how do I bring all of that we've talked about into my actual house church meeting? How do we actually begin to get after yeah. a shared life of prayer together? Yeah. Yeah. How do you practice leadership for prayer set? And as house church leaders, I think it starts with coming together before the gathering to discern what does God intend for us to do together in prayer when we meet. Yeah, we always laugh that, you know, you found the the real intercessors when you found the people who pray for the prayer meeting. And uh, <laughs> it does take some yeah. uh, teeing up ahead of time. This stuff doesn't just sort of happen because it is trying to build a culture. And so we do have to approach Jesus to really help us know how to even begin to get after it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that will necessarily, before you lead a house church gathering, you'll have to choose a posture. You know, mm-hmm. do we want to intercede or is, or do we want to spend, spend an extended time in adoration or do we want to lay hands on people and pray? Um, but this will also, you'll need to determine what size of group when we're together will pray. You know, will this be an entire group? You know, will we have the whole house church family pray for a city or the demographic of need or lost people? Are there points of shared intercession across house churches that 
we want to bring the entire spiritual family into. So will it be large group or could it potentially be potted? You know, mm-hmm. is what we're going to pray for in adoration, intercession, or lay on hands, does it require more like groups of three to five? Mm-hmm. And really engagement, participation, unity is going to be better felt in a potted prayer, three to five. Um, a lot of times this is a good uh, size group to have pray when you want it prompted by question, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you have a banding question that you want to be followed by prayer, like how is it with your soul? What are your struggles and successes? If you want people to really do some investigative work in their lives that will inform the group prayer to follow, uh, then potted prayer, um, groups of three to five, is a great number of people uh, to have pray in that way. Yeah, that works out really beautifully, again, in house church, because usually you're kind of in little clusters like this anyway, and it allows you to sort of digest what has been taught, to begin to process it, bring it into yourself, try to receive the measure of transformation that Jesus wants to bring about, and then pray and really ask for God to add his power, his blessing, his love, his mercy to it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are going to be days where it's not intercession, large group, and it's not potted prayer, but it feels more appropriate that you're going to pray over one individual as an entire group, right? The laying on of hands. So that's, you know, the whole group really prays for one. Yeah, and that often, we see that happen when somebody in the house church has something significant happening in their life, good or bad. If a person's starting a new job and they've been without a job for several months, we really want to just lay on hands and commission them into their new work in the marketplace um, to add the church's blessing to them. Um, It also may happen if someone is going to undergo a surgery or if they're sick, that we we lay on hands for healing, like it says in James. And so there are moments that there's a clear need that kind of rises to the surface, that it's obvious that the church would would want to address through the laying on of hands. Totally. Yeah. So beforehand in discerning, we want to choose a posture, but then we want to choose a group size. You Mm -hmm. know, is this whole group? Is this potted? Is this prayer over an individual? But then when it actually comes to the time of the gathering, you have your posture and you have your group size chosen. You feel like you've discerned what it is that God wants to do. It's important that when you begin the time of prayer, that you frame that time of prayer for everyone else so that they know how to engage. Mm-hmm. That's where the comments like one person's praying out loud, but we're all in deep agreement and we're all active in praying together come in handy. Or, you know, one person's, we might popcorn around prayer, um, but we're going to add our faith and wrapper unity around it. The framing at the beginning is really important. Um, if you're going spontaneous, do you want, is it just free flowing? Hmm. You know, tell people that, um, we're going to spend a time thanking God today. And I want this person, Jill, you're going to start and Steve, you're going to finish. Um, anyone else feel free to jump in in between. Yeah, it really is sort of like being the tour guide for the prayer time um, and assuming that people are sort of new in the land. Like, what do we do when we when we pray? And we really can. It's, it's such a gift to give clarity to the room for everybody to sort of know how it is that they'll participate. Because um, the, the moments that prayer can feel a little more challenging are often when people aren't sure what yeah. they should be doing and they're not sure if they're doing it right. Because it, it, um, that can be uh, scary and vulnerable for people yeah. to, to pray in ways that they haven't before. It feels kind of exposing. And so the the more we can sort of 
coach people up and give them these tools. I love those phrases that you mentioned. Those are ones I almost am tempted to like write down and have available to me um, <laughs> to think about how to really make sure that everybody knows how to come into this moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and once you're in the moment, it, it is important to coach through the moment, mm -hmm. right? So you frame it at the beginning, but then you as a leader are attentive to whether or not people are confused. Mm -hmm. You know, do people seem totally lost? Are they disengaged? Um, then coach them through it. Give clear instructions on how to engage properly. Yeah, that's really good. And sometimes it's in the in the moment coaching that, that I've seen be really helpful, where if you kind of open it up and nobody says anything for 30 seconds, or they just kind of are letting it hang and they're not they're not sort of engaging. Sometimes it's helpful to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, Hey, Austin, why don't you offer the first prayer? Yeah, <laughs> or um, let's each read a scripture out loud right now, or just kind yeah. of give people some some hooks and a little bit of an on ramp to know how to engage the moment. Because again, that framing at the beginning is so helpful. But sometimes when it is so new, yes. in a community, a new posture, a new a new practice, just really coaching throughout the whole moment can help to keep unity. Yeah. Yeah. And if people do feel disengaged, sometimes I will just say, hey, let's all pray out loud for 10 seconds on this topic. You know, it's something that will have been thematic already in the gathering. Mm -hmm. And I'll just throw it out there and I'll instruct them, choose one area of this topic, a specific need attached to this topic. Maybe it's, um, a moment of repentance that we're going to enter into, or um, maybe the the teaching is on mission. So we're going to we're going to focus focus on one area of mission that you're asking God for, and we'll pray together. And that gets everyone's voices going. Yeah. And when people feel comfortable talking, then oftentimes they'll talk to God together. Yeah, this actually what you're describing reminds me a little bit of the the language that our friend Tracy uses when she talks about um, sort of learning how to lead in any spaces. She calls it spirit-led improv. And that wow. and initially you learn the chords and scales when you're trying to learn music. Mm -hmm. And once you sort of have those basics, then you're able to really improv and to move around and you feel like you can sort of branch out and try things. And that really is what it's like to begin to learn to lead prayer sets and to begin to engage a deeper prayer culture in the house church. Initially, we're going to be doing some chords and scales. We're going to say, <laughs> all right, on three, everybody out loud. And yeah. some of these things, and as we get more and more comfortable and have lots of these things available to us, it will be easier over time and more, more natural for yeah. people to begin to be able to flow in and out of prayer and that it will become more and more integrated in the way that we do house church. Like I can imagine yeah. that over time, if we've had this really profound um, moment in scripture, we might just stop and say, yeah. oh, let's let's pray into this and uh, and then continue to move on from there. But that it will kind of grow these muscles in us over time. Yeah, absolutely. I love a Holy Spirit improv. Maybe we'll have some Miles Davis and some John <laughs> Coltrane's and some Fats Dominoes, you know, rise up out of the ranks in prayer. That That's would right. be uh, awesome. <laughs> I would love for us to move spontaneously in our gatherings and confidently in prayer. Yeah. And when people seem disengaged in a prayer set, um, it's important if there's silence to wonder, is this disengagement or is this a sacred moment? recognizing when God is moving in a sacred moment and pausing and being okay with silence even 
is strong, spontaneous discernment and gathering leadership because you don't want to blitz by the sacred moment where God's moving. And oftentimes in house churches, that's what breaks open the most powerful group prayer is not mm-hmm. our planned prayer set, but it's when someone offers a confession that is, that is deep within them that is unexpected. And you recognize God is here in a sacred way. We're going to pause and we're going to observe this time in silence or in prayer together or for this person. Or there's a moment after the teaching where it becomes obvious we shouldn't discuss the teaching together. Yeah. We should pray into it together. Yeah. Um, recognizing sacred moments, whether during a prayer set or during the gatherings, will help you enter into uh, the prayer of the Spirit, a deeper form of prayer in some ways. Yeah, I wonder if we could maybe think through ways to recognize when people are engaged versus disengaged and when to know how to hover in a moment and when to to keep moving. Do you have any thoughts you might be able to share around that? So what is engaged silence Mm -hmm. and sacred versus disengaged? Yeah. Yeah. Engaged silence often comes with expressions on people's faces where you can tell they're in deep thought. Maybe their eyes are closed, but it's obvious that something deep is occurring within them. Um, Disengagement, you know, when it's not a sacred silence and it's a disengaged silence, people are on their phone, Mm -hmm. their bodies are tense, they're fidgety Mm -hmm. because they're uncertain what to do. And and that's when you want to coach again. You want to bring people back to an engaged center. You want to coach through that. But during the gathering, you want to recognize those moments of sacred silence mm-hmm. or sacred moments that should throw you into the group into prayer, a response to what the Spirit is doing in, in real time and space among you. Yeah, that's that's really beautiful. There's a few really sacred moments that we've seen in house church where even during the singing portion— that someone would begin to sort of spontaneously pray. And then I've seen even a house church go into to 25, 35 minutes of prayer from that. It was just so evident that people desired to pour their hearts out before God. It just became moments of amazing adoration and then intercession. Yeah. And so I think maybe just a willingness to sort of pay attention mm-hmm. and uh, and a willingness to be interrupted, to recognize yeah. when when that is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. To linger, to linger is such a value in our gatherings and in our prayer, because when you have mental, emotional and gathering space, when you just have clear space, that's when you're able to recognize presence. Yeah. You know, when you are busied and hurried or objective oriented, when you're blitzing through the checkmark list of the gatherings, Um, you're going to oftentimes miss the presence of God among you. But in space and in lingering, um, yeah, that's often the the stillness is required to recognize the presence of God. And it's those moments of encounter Mm -hmm. when we sense that God is with us, where we have experiences of personal awakening. Yeah, yeah. And this, again, is one of those moments that is so shaped by our life 
outside the prayer set, just like how we have to have uh, harmony and peace and relationships to bring our unity to a prayer meeting, having a personal life of prayer, having just general responsiveness to the Spirit of God in our Monday to Saturday life will make us so much more able to lead in this way and to be able to, to lead the house church in moments of prayer when we're used to sort of listening and yielding and responding and yeah. working in real time with the Spirit. Totally agree. Well, thanks everyone for joining um, the podcast today. Yeah, I hope that you now feel empowered and have the knowledge base needed to effectively lead through a prayer set, a time of group prayer in your house church gathering. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. And God bless.